Look at 2 Samuel 3. Let's take a few minutes and consider some other traits of David. 2 Samuel 3, his spirit toward his family. This is one of the areas that he was weak, but it was also an area where he showed some wisdom and understanding of the difference between men. He, had, he was from quite a family. Amasa was the cousin of Joab. Amasa's mother was Abigail. Joab's mother was Zeruiah. Abigail and Zeruiah were sisters. They were both sisters of David. They were mighty men, mighty men of valor, and they fought for David for his whole life, the ones that lived long enough to fight for his whole life. But David understood all the way along that they had a wicked spirit about them that he didn't want any part of, yet he didn't deal with it as thoroughly as he could have, as severely as he should have, but he did know that about them. He generally did not compromise for family members and relatives that were ungodly. He said so in Psalm 101 that he wasn't going to abide them in his house. In 2 Samuel 3, we have Joab killing Abner, but we have David's response to it. 2 Samuel chapter 3, David had made a covenant with Abner. Abner was the captain of King Saul's host, the general of his army. Abner had been David's enemy, sworn enemy, for many years. But once the hostilities were over, David made a covenant with Abner, and Abner was going to bring the other ten tribes to submit themselves, or eleven tribes to submit themselves to David. And Joab heard about it, and because Abner had killed his brother Asahel, though he had warned Asahel repeatedly, if you read the first few chapters of 2 Samuel, you'll encounter all these wonderful stories. They're in the Bible for a reason. Joab had to exact revenge upon Abner, even though Abner was in peace because David had put him in peace and hostilities were over. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 28, And afterward, when David heard it, he's heard that Joab has killed Abner. Joab is his nephew by Zeruiah. Abner is his enemy, the captain of Saul's host. Joab has killed Abner whom David had made a covenant with. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue or that is a leper or that leaneth on a staff or that falleth on the sword or that lacketh bread. Don't let there fail any of those problems from the household of Joab for what he did. Now how's that for commending your general on the day that you're anointed king? That's David toward his own nephew who fought for him. However, he could have done better. He could have had Joab killed. He waited 40 years and had Joab killed. On his deathbed, he pulled the oxygen hose away from his nose just long enough to call Solomon over and say, you know what's, what Joab did to two men that were better than him, Abner and Amasa, do not let his hairs go down to the grave in peace. He should have done it himself. But he didn't understand the difference. And look at what he says in verse 39, though he has been made king, and I am this day weak, Though anointed king, and these men, 
the sons of Zeruiah be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. Remember, Zeruiah was David's sister. When you read about the sons of Zeruiah in the Bible, that's David's sister. So these are his three nephews, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. But notice what he says, These sons of Zeruiah be too hard for me. They did not have the merciful, understanding, gracious, balanced spirit that David had. David was severe in battle, but David also knew how to make peace and forgive enemies. They didn't. They were full of vengeance and revenge. Not David. David could have thought of revenge with Abner. Abner chased him for 15 years, but he didn't want to put Abner to death. He wanted to make peace with Abner. Do you know what the Bible says if you'll read these chapters? He threw a great feast for Abner when Abner came and visited Hebron. What a difference between those two men. On our website, our sermon outlines, Saul or David, Joab or David, and the sons of Zeruiah. There are sermons that have been preached in the past for your benefit that show the character differences from David to Joab, David to Saul, and David to all three of his nephews because there was a difference. There was a difference in James and John and Jesus, the son of David. James and John asked Jesus for permission to call fire down from heaven to burn up a village of the Samaritans because they didn't get excited about Jesus visiting that village. Jesus said to them, Ye know not what spirit ye are of. So vengeance and severity is not the spirit of Christ at all times, and it's not the spirit of David at all times. We want to be merciful. The, the, the Samaritans didn't know what they were missing or doing. Jesus prayed for forgiveness for those that crucified him on the cross of Calvary, and Stephen prayed for forgiveness for those that stoned him to death in Acts chapter 7. That is very different from the sons of Zeruiah, David's nephews. He eventually had Joab killed on his deathbed. Do you want to see it? Let's go over there, 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2, just so that you can see a wise man on his deathbed making sure that his son is well taken care of. Solomon was a young man, tender. He was going to be a man of peace. He wasn't a man of war. He wasn't trained like David was trained. He didn't kill lions and bears while he was a teenager, keeping his father's sheep. Verse 5, 1 Kings 2, David on his deathbed, and he's charging Solomon, as verse 1 of this chapter tells us. Now verse 5, Moreover, Thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me. What did he do to him? Killed Absalom. And what he did to the two captains of the hosts of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew, and shed the blood of war in peace, and put the blood of war upon his girdle that was about his loins, and in his shoes that were on his feet, do therefore according to thy wisdom, and let not his hoar head go down to the grave in peace. Though he's an old man now with white hair, don't let him die in peace. Why don't you do according to thy wisdom? Well, it was David's wisdom, but it was also Solomon's wisdom, because in wisdom Solomon had to protect his interests as king. Since he wasn't a man of war, he did not need someone like Joab, who did turn out to be a traitor and go with Adonijah for the short time that Adonijah had a thing going. Look at Psalm 101. We cannot compromise 
with family because they have the same last name or somehow they have some sort of genetic connection to us that can't justify our compromise. We've got to be righteous and right with those in our house, out of our house, in our church, out of our church. We've got to deal with them all fairly and righteously. Psalm 101, I've been over this before on a Wednesday evening. David said in verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privily slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart, will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. In my house, out of my house, city of the Lord, my relatives, my domestics, my servants, my helpers, I will take care of them righteously and fairly. He should have been better at that, but that was his commitment. And I want you to see his heart, and that's what should be our heart and our commitment. When Amnon was dead, David was glad. David was comforted when Amnon was dead for what he did to his sister Tamar. David should have dealt with it. Absalom's the one that dealt with it two years later. He was outraged by his son's fornication rape of his half-sister. He practiced true discipleship that Jesus called for, and that is to hate father, mother, brother, sister, and all those dear relations that we have by nature when it comes to the compromise that they can bring into our lives against the Lord. Look at 2 Samuel 16. <coughs> Another example of the sons of Zeruiah. He had these nephews with him all the time. They were part of his mighty men. They were leaders of his mighty men. They had faithfully followed him through hardships with at Ziklag, at, at Gath, and other places where they had lived with the Philistines. But there was a point when a, when a situation of morality or righteousness would come up, the sons of Zeruiah would be on one side ordinarily, and David would be on the other side. And here's an example of that. This is Shimei, a Benjaminite, that came out and cursed David. And David knew that he deserved the cursing. David was a prophet. And if David said, let the man curse, you wanted to let him curse. But David's nephews wanted to go over and take the dead dog's head off. And you, you know how tempting that would be? If a man's cursing you and throwing, throwing dirt clods and stones at you after you've been chased out of your own capital city, and your nephew says, let me go over and take the dead dog's head off, would you get a smile on your face? Good idea. Go for it. But not David. 2 Samuel 16.10, verse 9, let's get Abishai. This is one of his nephews, Joab, Abishai, Asahel. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, notice it identifies him as the son of the sister of David, Zeruiah. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Now that's pretty flattering. Nephew, calling uncle, my lord the king, you shouldn't have to endure treatment like that. Let me go over and take his head off. The king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruiah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? 
Now you want to know David's wisdom? We're not to that point. It's later. David's wisdom and David's ethics. Do you know what David did in his deathbed for Shimei? Solomon. Got to take care of him too. I promised him that I wouldn't take care of him because I could handle him. But you're not me. And you, you do not need a treasonous, seditious person like Shimei in your kingdom. So take care of him. And Solomon took care of him in a very wise way. He gave him the opportunity to preserve his life by staying in the city of Jerusalem. But he left the city of Jerusalem and Solomon had men watching him and so killed him. There's so much wisdom in all the... These Bible stories are not wasted ink on paper. There is so much wisdom in them. David had made an oath that he wasn't going to kill Shimei, so he didn't. He just told Solomon to do it. You say, well, that's, that's kind of fudging the point. It, you can test it. I love it. I love it just the way it is said. Solomon sees Bathsheba standing at the door of his palace. Mother, come on in. Has a chair arranged for her. Anything you want to half the kingdom. I want Abishag for Adonijah. Are you kidding me? You just cost him his life and he just cost him his life. And he had him killed right there in the spot for the seditious, treasonous effort. It didn't matter what he had promised his mother. It's always understood when you make a promise like that, anything you want to half the kingdom, I'm not going to bow down and rub the belly of Buddha. I'm not going to worship the rising sun. And I'm not going to build a totem pole in the backyard and have you worship it. You know, is it understood that there are things that you don't mean when you say anything you want to half the kingdom? If she wanted to go to Outback that night and have a blooming onion, he'd have taken her. He'd have got her two blooming onions. He'd have got her a, a wallaby darn to go with it. But he wasn't going to give Abishag to Adonijah. Thank you, Lord, for all the wisdom of your word. He was passionate. What David chose to do, especially pertaining to God, he did with great passion. And we, we love that about him. He danced with all his might before the ark. And you know, that's one of the things that men who've read the Bible know about David. He moved the ark of the covenant with a great show. 30,000 princes of Israel fed the whole nation a, a nice meal, men and women, the Bible tells us. The temple for God had to be exceeding magnificent. His worship songs are like nothing else. Psalm 18 is like nothing else. The psalms of praise about David, the lifting up of the Lord, the messianic psalms about the Lord Jesus Christ by David are all wonderful. The way he poured out the water from the well of Bethlehem to honor those men who had risked their lives to bring him a drink, that is just very passionate, very emotional, very dramatic, very expressive in the way that David was. And we want to be like that. His instrumental music for tabernacle and temple worship was over the top. Everything was wide open, full bore, because God deserved the best. I love his, his wording. You know, I gathered, I, Solomon, I have gathered with all my might, because everything was with everything he had. Because this palace is not for men, it's for the Lord. It's got to be the best. Everything's got to be the best. I'm going to dance with all my might. I don't care about the fact that I'm king. More than being king, I'm God's son, and he's my God, and he's my Lord, and I'm going to dance. And you poor little pitiful creature named Michael, my first wife, my first love, forget you, babe. God cut your whole family off. There's no one left. And if you think that I disgraced myself today, I'm going to be worse than anything you saw in that parade. I'm never going to touch you again. And so she died childless. 
exactly the way she should have died. That's David. Because he wasn't going to be mocked in his house by his wife about the way he wanted to worship the Lord with all his might. He didn't care if he looked royal out there or not. He wanted to look like he loved the God of heaven who he was worshiping by moving the Ark of the Covenant where God had said, I will come and dwell between those two cherubim. He knew how to rule his spirit. You're at 2 Samuel 16. Is that ruling your spirit when a man's throwing dirt clods at you and you're not in a very good frame of mind because you've been chased out of the city and your nephew wants to take him out? And he says, no, God's bidden him to curse me. I deserve it. He knew how to rule his spirit. He perfectly handled the death of his son by adultery with Bathsheba. That little child that he had, he went in and begged God seven days and nights for it. He wouldn't eat or drink. He begged God because he knew that God could possibly have mercy on him yet. And when the child was dead, he rose up, he washed himself, he went in and worshipped God. And he went and comforted his wife, and they had sex immediately, and she conceived and had Solomon. And God called Solomon Jedidiah, the one that the Lord loves. David, David knew how to rule his spirit. He didn't whine. He didn't complain. He didn't argue with God. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. He just went back to his wife and comforted her, and they had another one, then they had another one, then they had another one, then they had another one. Go read about the children of Bathsheba with David. We'll get to that. David managing his women. Not yet. He could have overthrown Saul by popularity, sedition, treason, or death, but didn't because he ruled his spirit, and he ruled his spirit for 15 long years. It's a wonderful display of ruling a spirit. You have never had a government do anything towards you, not even think about doing anything towards you that that government did toward him. But he ruled his spirit. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Now, what about a poor Amalekite that came along and said, I found Saul on the battlefield, and... I helped him find out if there's life after death or not. Do you remember that story? Yes. If, you re- if you read these chapters, of, they're wonderful. Amen. What did David do to that poor guy? Killed him. How about the two men that killed Ishbosheth, Saul's son? They came with Ishbosheth's head. They arrive in David's court in Hebron with Ishbosheth's head, King Saul's son who was the replacement king for Saul over Benjamin and the rest of the tribes of Israel. You know why they all did that, don't you? They thought they were going to get some great positions in government, but they forgot that David was king. David didn't exalt men like that. And so there they are holding that head. And David said, have you you guys heard what I did to the Amalekite that thought that he killed Saul, that, that wanted to tell me he killed Saul on the battlefield thinking that I would give him great favors? Yeah, you probably should have heard about that. Young men rise up and kill these two as well. Because he ruled his spirit, and he was severe in situations like that where severity was deserved, but not, he did not try to overthrow Saul. And look at his spirit. On the day of Saul's death, when David heard about it, could he have eulogized Jonathan and ignored Saul? Could he have eulogized Jonathan and slighted Saul? 2 Samuel 1 is the heart of David about mercy and forgiveness. It is unprecedented. From a natural man, it is so hard to comprehend 15 years of being chased by that enemy and eulogizing him so highly. When Stephen said, lay not this sin to their charge, he didn't say that they were like eagles about those that were killing him. David just went off on Saul. 
that the women of Israel had nice things to wear because Saul was so proficient in battle. Do you know why Saul was so proficient in battle against the Philistines? Because he had a general working for him named David. It's beautiful. He, he knew how to rule his spirit. We want to learn everything we can possibly learn about David. You know that could be developed a whole lot farther. How about ruling your spirit this way? Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Is that ruling your spirit? Absolutely. I am not going to let you, I am not going to let you get away with that junk that you're telling me right now. Why art thou cast down within me? And orders himself around. Hope thou in God. Grow up. Hope thou in God. He shall yet be the strength of your countenance. That's, right. That's David ruling his spirit. Amen. For those of you that get in a funk and have a meltdown, it's unbelievable. Is it possible for us to have meltdowns? It's unbelievable, isn't it? Does it ever happen to you? Yep. Yep. We need to start talking to ourselves more. Self, why art thou cast down? Why are you having a meltdown? What are you so upset about? Nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. God's still in heaven. Jesus is on his throne. The Bible's still true. And your wife hasn't left you yet. She should. What are you having a meltdown for? Talk to yourself. He knew how to rule his spirit. Thank you, Lord, for giving us an example of a very emotional man who had a very strong, passionate spirit who was not always praising the Lord but could get very discouraged with the circumstances in his life, yet he would address himself and say, the problem is right here. Does anybody know where that verse is found? Psalm 42 and 43 is the talking to yourself but about the infirmity is in himself. Is Psalm 77 and verse 6. It wasn't, I'm just going to read it to you. It's Psalm 77, verse 10. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. He got discouraged and thought that God may have forsaken him forever, and he calls it, this is my infirmity. I am going to remember exactly who God is. He's never forsaken me, and he won't forsake me. Psalm 77, verse 10. David lived intentionally for a cause. When he arrived in the battlefield, is there not a cause? You've heard the words many times. That's another sermon on the website pertaining to David that you could listen to or read the outline for. When things relaxed, after he destroyed all his enemies with God's blessing, he found a new cause. What was the new cause? Build God a temple. When he, when he couldn't build the temple... He looked for another cause. I'll pay for it. Do you know how few would do that? As soon as they heard, well, that's nice. Uh, it's the thought that counts. You know, go out on the golf course, tee up for 18 holes. Go out in the golf. Yeah, are you with me? Nathan has just said, you're not going to build me a house. So you go out and tee up for 18 holes to take the whole afternoon playing golf. It's the thought that counts. The Lord knows that I had a great thought toward him. David, it was nothing like that. All David could think is, okay, build. Build means to actually be involved in the construction so that the scaffolding and everything will be there during my lifetime and I'll get to see the finished product. Oh, he won't, doesn't want me to do I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it. Do you understand that the cause was always a cause? The cause was the glory of God. The program was the people of God, and it was for the praise of God. 
and the congregational worship in Israel. David ruled his life that way. There was a purpose for everything that he did, and we want to make sure there's a purpose for everything we do. And that's the glory of God. That's why you were created. That's why God is sustaining your life right now is his glory. And how much do you give him? The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. David, David understood that. And David lived that way. As soon as he was in office and the Ark of the Covenant was accessible, he moved it after King Saul had left it for 40 years. He was highly offended, and rightly so, for his first wife and first love, Michael, disrespecting his worship of God. He sought first the kingdom of God, and God added to him all the things that he needed. Graciousness. Let's go to 1 Samuel 18. There's so much that can be said about some of these points. 1 Samuel 18, and we don't have the time nor the purpose in this particular study to go over them. It's been preached before. All you need to do is find sermons on the website about graciousness, and it will include this about David. David was very gracious in the way he spoke, and it's because he had a pure heart. He was after the Lord's heart. He had a good heart. David told Samuel, I want you to anoint David, and not Eliab, not Shimea, not the other sons of Jesse. I want you to anoint David because of his heart. And so we have the verse that Solomon wrote, but David was the perfect fulfillment of it. And it's already been mentioned today. He that loveth pureness of heart, for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Saul loved David as soon as he met him. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now we're in 1 Samuel 18, and Jonathan's going to love David for the same product, his lips. Lord, help us to be more gracious. And it starts with a pure heart, and that's been taught repeatedly out of this pulpit. He that loveth, loveth pureness of heart. For the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. It starts with good thoughts about everyone in your heart. Then what comes out is gracious, and kings want such men around them. 1 Samuel 18, when we look back at, verse, at chapter 17 in the last verses, the last verse, Saul said to him, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Just very gracious. He didn't get into any dissertation about what he had just accomplished in the battlefield for the Israelites. It came to pass in verse 1 of chapter 18, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. There was every reason for Jonathan not to like David. Jonathan was about 20 to 25 years older than David. Jonathan was the heir apparent to the throne of Israel. David was obviously going to be a significant competitor for that throne. But Jonathan loved him. And it tells us why. When he had made an end of speaking unto him, the graciousness of the lips of David, out of the pureness of his heart, won Jonathan. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan made the covenant. Jonathan had something to give up. David didn't have anything to give up. And it was love for this gracious man. And so we want to remember that he was gracious. And never forget that verse. 
How about the 200 that were too tired to go on when there were 600 of David's men pursuing the Amalekites that had come and raided their homes in Ziklag and taken his wives and children and his stuff? David and his men, though exhausted, went after those Amalekites. However, when they got to a river, 200 of them were too tired to continue on and they were left behind. David and the 400 went, recovered everything and came back. The 400 didn't think the 200 should get anything because they were such wimps and unable to finish the military expedition. David said it should be shared equally alike with them and they should get all their stuff back and made it a law in Judah. That's a gracious man. That's a merciful, generous, liberal man. When King Saul offered David his daughter, David's words were, are you kidding me? I'm not fit to be the son-in-law of a king. You can read about that. There's David's graciousness. And you know, when there's men around that know that you've killed Goliath and cut his head off, and that you've done this and you've done that, you've killed a lion, you've killed a bear, that you are as accomplished as David was with the harp and everything else in David's life, when David would say, who am I and who is my father's house that I would think that I could marry into Saul's family? You know, when you hear something like that, men wanted to follow that. Men knew that that was a special person because the average person is so selfish and so narrow in their thinking that if they heard it, well, then he must be sincere and that I probably do deserve it. You know, yeah. That, that'd probably be a good match for me. Who else in Israel is good enough? You know, their thoughts go in a completely different direction than David's one of humility. Don't worry, David ended up with the best women anyway. And he certainly didn't need Michael. He got Abigail out of the, de- out of the deal, and he got Bathsheba later, who turned out to be a great wife. She's a great mother to Solomon and a great mother to other sons as well. And the Lord blessed her and her son and her relationship with David. No matter what you think about her sin, God forgave her as well because God blessed the two of them. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 4. David was a good father. Now I have listed in the sins of David the fact that he wasn't a good father. So what in the world do I mean? He wasn't a very good father to many of his sons, but he was a good father to at least one of his sons. And that was to Solomon. The Bible tells us that. David tried to be a good father, but he did focus his efforts on the one that he knew was the Lord's because the Lord named him Jedidiah because the Lord loved Solomon. You're turning to Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to read to you one verse from Psalm 34, 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's from David's pen. That's Psalm 34, one of your favorite psalms about David in the book of Psalms. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He just didn't do it with all of them. You know, when you practice polygamy, you end up with a messed up, dysfunctional family. Do you know why God doesn't believe in polygamy? He tells us in Malachi chapter 2 that he had the residue of the Spirit And he could have made more women for Adam, but he made one woman named Eve. Why? That he might seek a godly seed. Because when there's too many women, 
the competitiveness between the women for their sons and the competitiveness between the sons and the disregard for each other because you're only half-brothers or half-sisters, messed up families, and you can read about it throughout the Bible, but it's certainly messed up in David's household. Polygamy stinks. It's a contrary to God's law and nature and creative ordinance in Genesis chapter 2 when God made a woman from Adam's rib and brought her, singular, to the man. But here we are in Proverbs chapter 4. Now Solomon is writing these Proverbs. But notice what he says in verse 1. He says, Hear ye children the instruction of a father. Solomon had some children. And he had Rehoboam that he needed to prepare for the throne of Israel. Hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Listen, listen, kids, I've got some great stuff to tell you. Now listen to me. I'm your father. For I was my father's son, the favored one of David. I was my father's son. This is Solomon, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother, Bathsheba. He taught me also. Solomon is saying, what I'm trying to do for you, my father, David, that you've heard so much about, the great king of Israel, did it to me. And so there's an appeal made for fathers to their sons. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. Verse 4, he taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Very similar words to Solomon's words to Rehoboam and the other children. Now these words are the words of David, recorded by Solomon, that he was taught as David's son while he was still under David's instruction. These are David's words. Continuing on, David's words. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee, and it goes on now, it's back to Solomon and him, and him self-directing his children and his son Rehoboam as he does through the rest of the book. We take the division right there between verses 9 and 10 as David's words ending and Solomon's words resuming as he directs his son. So David was a good father to his good son Solomon. No wonder Solomon knew what to ask when God offered. Think about this. The verses I just read you, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. God appears to, to Solomon in a dream. 1 Kings chapter 3. What do you want me to do for you? You want to hear the words? Give me a wise and understanding heart. Where do you think he heard that? From his dad. There wasn't a question in his mind. It wasn't riches. It wasn't enemies. It wasn't long life. It's a wise and understanding heart. Because David had taught him. We're talking about David. Note the tenderness at David's death, charging his son to worship his God. 1 Chronicles 28 and verse 9. 1 Chronicles 28 9, hear the words. And thou, Solomon, my son, 
Know thou the God of thy father. Let us all be like David. Let's live for that God so our children know that he's our God. And thou Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. First Chronicles 28 and verse 9. And serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Serious warning from David to Solomon. One more and we'll end. In the book of Proverbs, the number one character trait of wisdom is being willing to take correction. The humility to be taught, to bow down your ear, to hear the words of the wise, to bind them to your heart, to embrace them, to obey them. Of course, I'm leaving out the foundation of the fear of the Lord because I'm looking for a particular trait of men as to what marks them for being wise. It's the ability to be taught. And for you fathers, look for you fathers and for you men who are looking for a good wife or for you girls that are looking for a good husband, always be looking for a teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. A teachable spirit. And all of you young people that are listening to me, if you want to win anyone in this church, you better show a teachable spirit. That means that when you're doing something wrong and we correct you, you're going to change because that guarantees the success of the marriage. If you get two people together that will hear instruction and bow down to it and listen and ask their parents and receive advice and change because of it, those are two people that can accomplish anything because they're going to learn and grow in their marriage rather than separate and build walls between them. They're going to learn and grow and advance and progress in wisdom and understanding and love for each other because they're going to get help from outside. Okay, we're talking about taking advice. Solomon taught the importance of that. Could David take advice? How do you take advice when you're the man after God's own heart? How do you take advice when at 15 you had oil poured on your head that said you were a king? How do you take advice when at the age of 30 you had oil poured on your head for the second time as you became king of Judah? How do you take advice when you had oil poured in your head for the third time when you were 37 and a half years old when all of Israel made you their king as well? How do you have oil poured on I mean, how do you take advice when all the women of Israel are singing, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands? Would that tend to puff up your head so that you couldn't take advice? It would, but it didn't David. Ever read 1 Samuel 25? Did you, do you know that a woman stopped him dead in his tracks when he was in a rage about Nabal and was going to go kill every male in Nabal's entire household? Who stopped him? A woman named Abigail. Stopped him cold, and she thanked him for it, and she undid his anger in a few minutes. One of the most valuable chapters in the Bible for women that ever want to learn how to be a Christian wife and never argue with their husbands but learn how to win a husband, even when he's angry. Abigail was spectacular. David took her advice. David said, thank you for coming and saving me today. Oh, by the way, if you get a note from me in 10 days about marriage, 
I hope you'll think about it. The Lord took care of all that, and you know that story as well. Did he respond well to Nathan coming in and telling him that thou art the man? I have sinned against the Lord. How long did it take him? Immediately. I have sinned against the Lord. How about the sin about numbering Israel? Did he respond well? These sheep haven't done anything. Let it be on me. Let this pestilence be on me. He, took it. He, he knew how to take advice. Did Joab know that if he hired the woman of Tekoa to come in and give him a sob story, that David would go for it? Because he took advice. And he took advice about Absalom. Do you know what? Who said these words? If the righteous smite me, I will consider it a kindness. David did in Psalm 141 and verse 5. Those are the words of David. If the righteous smite me, I'll count it a kindness. My prayer will be in the time of their adversity. It's a wonderful verse. Some of you know it well. And we've shared that verse before in the congregation, but that was David. David's willingness to take advice. We want to be like that. Every one of these items that we've gone over, how can I change this aspect of my life to be more like David for the delight of God and men? He took advice. He was a good father to a good son. He was gracious. He lived intentionally for a cause. He ruled his spirit. He was passionate. He guarded his relationships with his family members. He submitted and sought the will of God. He practiced righteousness, and he practiced holiness. Ones we've learned today. These are the things that mark David in the Bible that we can be like. As soon as we say amen and break up, things are going to happen. We can do life passionately. We can think about the thoughts we're going to think, the words we're going to say, what we're going to do, and we can do them to the glory of God, the profit of other lives, the sake of our church, the adorning of the gospel. We can do it fervently for the Lord, driven by a purpose and cause, being merciful and gracious, submitting to advice that we're given. We want to be like David. The only way that it happens is that we remember some of these things and put them into practice. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.